Good morning. So as promised, today's podcast on podiatrics is on the topic of renal tubular disorders. So what we're going to cover today is in really basic terms what the different parts of the kidneys do and clinical conditions associated with disorders or dysfunction in certain parts of the kidney. Any questions, um, feel free to contact me and we'll make a start on today's podcast. So today's podcast is, if you like, great for anyone that would like to do a bit of renal revision. And we're going to go through in the real basic uh, level what the different parts of the kidney do. And then follow that with some conditions that are associated when there's problems with certain bits of the kidney. So I am going to start off by talking about the proximal convoluted tubule. Then I'm going to talk about the loop of Henle. Then the distal convoluted tubule and the collecting duct. Okay. So that's what we're going to talk about. So we're focusing today on the renal tubule. Proximal convoluted tubule, the loop of Henle distal convoluted tubule and collecting duct. So when you think of renal tubular disorders, divide them into those four um, processes. Okay. And what you should be able to do for each of these four um, parts of the kidney is name one condition, okay? Name one condition for each part and explain how the dysfunction that happens in that condition lead you to the particular clinical manifestations and link that in with the physiology. So, to summarise and outline what the proximal convoluted tubule does, if someone's to ask you on a ward round, what does the proximal convoluted tubule do? Number one, it's the main site of active transport and reabsorption, okay? So the majority of your solutes, things dissolved in the glomerular filtrate, it is the main site of active transport and reabsorption, okay? It is also, number two, the location of your main buffer in your urine, which is ammonium, which is NH4+. So, proximal convoluted tubule. Number one, it's the main site of active transport and reabsorption of the majority of the solutes in your glomerular filtrate or renal filtrate. Number two, it's the location of the fundamentally important buffer in your urine called ammonium. Okay, so... What does it do? Well, we can split the proximal convoluted tubule into three sections. Section one, which is the early bit of your proximal convoluted tubule, reabsorbs lots of goodies. So glucose, amino acids, phosphate, bicarbonate, and some low molecular weight proteins. So first part, reabsorbs glucose, amino acids, phosphate, bicarbonate. Second part, 
okay? So the later part of the proximal convoluted tubule, urate is reabsorbed and secreted and citrate is also reabsorbed, okay? So first part reabsorbs glucose, amino acids, phosphate and bicarbonate. The second bit reabsorbs urate and citrate. It's really important when we look at why some patients that are on certain medications may get gout or more correctly, hyperuricemia. So high uric acid levels in the blood may be because of a renal pathology. Later on, okay, are later on down the proximal convoluted tubule, okay, you've got this proximal straight tubule, the last bit, where many drugs and metabolites are secreted, okay, including loop and thiazide diuretics, but we're not going to get hung up on, on what happens there. All of the active transport, we say it's the main site for active transport, depends on this pump, okay? So it's your sodium, potassium, ATPase pump, okay? It requires energy, ATPase requires energy, okay? So proximal convoluted tubule, which is made up of proximal tubular cells, which makes sense, are packed to the brim with mitochondria because require energy. So these processes are very, very much dependent on aerobic respiration, okay? Why clinical point number one, why is that really important? Okay, why is it really important? Because we talk about tubular necrosis, don't we? We talk about acute tubular necrosis. Um, the most common type is ischemic, which links very nicely into the physiology we just talked about. They require active transport to take place that is dependent on energy, which requires mitochondria, which love aerobic respiration. If you've got hypoxia or ischemia, you run the risk of these proximal tubular cells becoming very unhappy and you getting acute tubular necrosis through renal ischemia. Or things like gentamicin can give you drug-induced acute tubular necrosis, which are the two main causes of acute tubular necrosis that you need to know. So what have we covered so far? Okay, we've said the proximal tubule is the main site of active transport and reabsorption of the majority of solutes, okay? All the goodies. The early part of the proximal convoluted tubule reabsorbs glucose, amino acids, phosphate and bicarbonate. In the later part, we get reabsorption of urate and also secretion as well, and citrate being reabsorbed. Further along, when this proximal convoluted tubule turns into more of a straight tubule, this is where drugs and their metabolites are secreted. We said that these, this active transport relies on the sodium potassium ATPase, okay, which is on your proximal tubular cells. So the proximal tubule has proximal tubule cells, easy to remember. These cells require energy, 
active transport requires energy. These cells require energy. So they're packed full to the brim with mitochondria. They're dependent on aerobic respiration. So therefore, if your oxygen levels in your blood, hypoxemia, okay, or your oxygen saturations peripherally drop, hypoxia, you run the risk of having ischemia because these are very, very energy dependent cells that are dependent on aerobic respiration. If you haven't got oxygen, you can't have aerobic respiration and these cells are at risk of damage from ischemia, lack of blood supply. And through drug induced acute tubular necrosis. Okay. So let's think about and brainstorm some pathologies that are clinically relevant to underpin our physiology of the proximal tubule. So we said active transport is so important. So what happens if it goes wrong? Okay. There are, and I won't name all of them because there's lots of them. There are lots of genetic defects affecting glucose and amino acid transport. Okay. So one that I am going to mention is one which is called cysteinuria, okay? It's one of the kind of most talked about um, clinically important defects of amino acid transport. Why is it important? Because you get renal stones. So cysteinuria is really important. So if we then go, well... Why, why is this important? Okay, so if you've got cysteinuria, you get a defect of amino acid transport. Okay, so we've said that amino acid reabsorption happens in the early part of the proximal tubule. If this doesn't happen, you can't reabsorb it. And sometimes you can get these kind of amino acids forming stones. Okay which is very important, okay? So that's very, very, very important. Right. So cystinuria would be an example of a problem with that. So cystinuria is an inherited defect of amino acid transport. Because of this problem with amino acid transport and reabsorption, you can get it precipitating and forming stones. So cystinuria in someone with recurrent renal stones is something that you may think about. So that's kind of talking about glucose and talking a bit about amino acids. Bicarbonate is a really interesting bit. So we said that in the early part of the proximal convoluted tubule, you reabsorb glucose and amino acids that we've briefly talked about. We also talked about phosphate and bicarbonate. So I'm going to really hone in on bicarbonate. So if we had a problem with bicarbonate reabsorption, what would happen? What would happen? So if you have got problem with bicarbonate reabsorption, you have a renal tubular acidosis by definition. Okay, you can't alkaline alkalinize your urine, okay? If you don't 
reabsorbed bicarbonate, okay? You can't um, alkalinize your blood. Correction, you can't alkalinize your blood, okay? Remember, I've kind of illustrated um, one of the problems is that renal tubular acidosis re relates to the pH of the blood, not of the urine. So kind of quite happy that I dropped that mistake in there. So if you've got a renal tubular acidosis of any type, type 1, type 2 or type 4, you will have a pH that is low. You'll have an acidotic blood pH. The interesting thing here is your urine pH will be alkaline because you can't reabsorb bicarbonate so you pee it out, okay? And actually the bicarbonate levels in your blood will go down. So if we go through that again, if you had a disturbance of bicarbonate reabsorption, you would have what we call, there's two different ways of saying it, proximal renal tubular acidosis because it affects the proximal tubule. The other word that you may hear in single best answer questions is a type 2 renal tubular acidosis. Initially, what will happen is your urine pH will be high, okay? Urine pH will be alkaline or urine pH will be high because you can't reabsorb bicarbonate, so it just stays in your wee. So then your wee is very alkaline because bicarbonate is alkaline. Your bicarbonate concentration, if you were to do a venous blood gas, will be low, which explains your acidosis. You can't reabsorb from the glomerular filtrate back into the blood. So the bicarbonate levels in the blood will be low. So you'll get an acidosis, a metabolic acidosis. The bicarbonate levels in the urine will be high, so urinary pH goes up, okay? When the threshold for bicarbonate reabsorption is exceeded, okay, normally around about a serum of about 16 to 18, any bicarbonate that isn't reabsorbed by the proximal tubule is reabsorbed later on, so normally in the loop of Henle, okay? And sometimes a collecting duct, okay? What this does, however, is this limits further bicarbonate loss, okay? And the urine pH, which was initially high, will become more acidic, okay? more towards neutral because you have got the collecting duct and the loop of Henle to compensate for your proximal tubule not working properly stands to reason if you've got a more distal renal tubular acidosis there is nowhere else to compensate is there you've reached the end of the road um, so more distal renal tubular acidosis you don't get this phenomenon because you have got no other parts of the kidney to compensate um, for the loss of function that you've got. Okay, so that's very, very important. Okay, so there we go.
We're then going to talk um, about a generalised syndrome of the proximal tubal that I believe is the key way to understanding the proximal tubule. So if you said at the beginning of this podcast, I don't understand the different parts of the kidney. It annoys me. I keep on going through it and I still don't understand. If you understand renal Fanconi syndrome, you understand the proximal tubule and there's no way you can disagree or argue the point. Okay, so let's talk very simply about this. Okay, right. So we have talked about a proximal renal tubular acidosis. Okay. If a patient had urate in their urine, so uricosuria, glycosuria, so glucose in the urine, phosphaturia, phosphate in the urine, amino acid urea, amino acids in the urine, and low molecular weight proteins in the urine. If they had all of that, what would you think is going on? What part of the kidney is affected? So hopefully you will be able to say to me, if I gave you a question, is it A, proximal tubule, B, loop of Henle, C, distal convoluted tubule, D, collecting ducts, you can give me the answer. So this patient's presented, we've done urine reanalysis and they have got urate in their urine, glucose in their urine, phosphate in their urine, amino acids in their urine and low molecular weight proteins. This person has got a proxima proximal tubular defect. So this is what I refer to as renal Fanconi syndrome. So renal Fanconi syndrome is seen in multiple conditions, okay? So for example, for those of you that think, oh, he's always chatting about pediatrics all the time, it's seen in myeloma and Wilson's disease. So it's a crucial thing to be aware of, um, especially if you've got hematology, oncology jobs, if you're doing gastroenterology, it's seen in, it can be inherited or it can be acquired. So you can get it in things like myeloma and Wilson's disease. It's a side effect of some medications, aminoglycosides. So if you were to give me an example, you would give me the example of gentamicin. So you can get it in gentamicin. So gentamicin can give you... Um, Acute tubular necrosis, it can give you a renal Fanconi syndrome as well. So you can get genetic forms, okay? And the genetic form that I'm going to mention is something called Dent disease. And this is the association of renal Fanconi syndrome with um, renal stones, okay? With renal stones. And this is a defect in the chloride, the chloride co-transporter. Again, not particularly important. And for those of you that are interested, there's another syndrome called Low Syndrome, L-O-W-E. This is associated with congenital cataracts and um, cognitive impairment. So we talked about 
the proximal tubule, recap the proximal tubule, and then you'll have enough of the proximal tubule and you'll be begging me to move on. So proximal convoluted tubule is the main site of active transport and reabsorption of the majority of solutes in your renal filtrate. And the first part, you get reabsorption of glucose, amino acids, phosphate and bicarbonate, and these low molecular weight proteins back into the blood. Therefore, problem with um, your proximal tubule, you might be thinking renal Fanconi syndrome. Why in renal Fanconi syndrome do you get urate, glucose, phosphate, amino acids, and low molecular weight proteins in the urine? Because the early part of your proximal tubule reabsorbs all of these back into the blood. If that's not working, they don't get reabsorbed back into blood, they get peed out in your urine, so they'll all be in your urine, which is easy to think about. We then talked about that because this is very energy dependent, because of the sodium potassium ATPase pump is an active transport mechanism, there's lots of mitochondria and dependent upon oxygen so that you can have aerobic respiration. If you are hypoxic, what happens? You can get damage to these proximal tubular cells, okay, which can lead to injury and necrosis. And the two ones that you need to think about in the context of acute tubular necrosis are renal ischemia, so you can get this because of sepsis, you can get it because of hypovolemia, drug toxicity, the one that they always talk about in exams is gentamicin. Okay, we talked then about um, if any of these active transport processes of getting things back into the blood fail, you will get things in the urine that you're not expecting to see in the urine. So therefore, if you get amino acids in your urine, you will probably got a problem with amino acid transport, for example, cysteinuria. So if you've got amino acids in your urine, that is not a good thing. And you may have a problem like cysteinuria with amino acid transport. If you have got very alkaline urine, okay, if you've got very alkaline urine, initially that is associated with a proximal renal tubular acidosis, also known as a type 2. Initially, the bicarbonate levels in your blood will be low and the bicarbonate levels in your urine will be high and therefore your urinary pH will go up. Over time, however, when you reach the threshold for bicarbonate reabsorption, normally around a serum level of about 16 to 18 bicarbonate, any bicarbonate that's not reabsorbed by the proximal convoluted tubule will be reabsorbed by the loop of Henle um, mostly but can be the collecting ducts as well. This limits further bicarbonate loss. So you've lost bicarbonate because the proximal tubule isn't working, but then you do get this compensation of the other parts of the kidney working together to limit how much um, bicarbonate you can waste away in your urine. So actually um, the urine pH does tend to improve with time because the other parts of the kidney compensate. This is frankly incredibly different from a more distal renal tubular acidosis, where because it's further down the line in the kidney, you've got no other bits that can kind of work together um, to help reabsorb.